0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Fertility Podcast. I'm Natalie Silverman, your host. It's mid-August in the UK and it's chucking it down. And today I'm actually meant to be going to a Caribbean carnival need my waterproofs. Anyway, uh, if you're listening in real time, I hope you're having a good August, maybe you're on holiday. If you're kind of catching up, then um, a little bit about the fertility podcast. Well, I'm heading towards my fifth birthday, which is mental. There's a whole load of episodes for you to rediscover about all areas of fertility. I've got men and women sharing their stories, as well as different fertility experts. But for the last couple of months, I have been making this podcast with a lovely lady called Kate Davis, because we started. To publish it on UK Health Radio which is an internet radio platform. I wanted to do it with someone else because I've been doing this podcast like I said for quite a while now and Kate has just got the science bit and you've been giving us your feedback saying that you're really enjoying her input as well and so for now that's how the podcast is. It's a bit different to if you've been listening for a while but I haven't had anybody say that you're not happy with it so um, we're going to continue unless you object you need to speak now or forever hold your peace. So what you're about to hear is a chat that we had with Mr. Mohamed Teranasi, who's the Medical Director at the ARGC, which is a London clinic. You may have heard of it, you may not have. If you are just starting off in your fertility investigations to work out what you might need or tests or just what might be wrong with you, then this might not be for you. This is about if you're maybe thinking about a treatment. Now the ARGC is a very specific type of clinic in that it's often the place that people go to when they've had failed cycles elsewhere. It's pretty intensive treatment, and you'll hear Mr. Terenasi describe it as IVF boot camp. So, I kind of wanted to give you this insight because when you're choosing a clinic it's so got to feel right for you and if this is way off the mark from what you're looking to have then that's not a problem you'll know the kind of different levels that you can expect have a listen and then what you're also going to hear is a reference from a previous episode I've already shared with you with the HFEA because Mr. Terranassi does refer to the HFEA and of course, you can hear the full episode here at thefertilitypodcast.com. But I just wanted to give you like a another recap of that episode, because that's all about how you go about choosing a clinic. And if that's where you're at, it will be really relevant. Before we start the show, though, a bit of housekeeping for you. If you want to give me a follow at Fertility Poddy on Insta or Twitter, it'd be lovely to hear from you. There on my Instagram is a link to an event that's happening in the Northwest, if you're based in the UK. I'm part of this group, Talk Fertility, which you'll have heard me mention before, I hope. And we're putting on an LGBTQ focused event where we've got some amazing fertility professionals, as well as some people sharing their stories. So if you're wondering what it looks like for you to have a family with regards to tests that you might need to do, um, how you'd go about finding a a sperm donor, or if you're looking to go down the surrogacy route, it's gonna be a really great event. It's only an hour and a half. It's on Wednesday, the 28th of August. It's the kind of Wednesday after Manchester Pride's happening. so um, go check out my Insta at Fertility Body, for the link or listen to the end for the show notes where I'll put the link there too, especially if you're on the move, that's helpful. One last thing, if you can rate and review this podcast, either via iTunes or your favourite podcast app, it just means the world because it keeps it bubbling over that you're listening and it helps other people find this content. And it also lets me know that you actually like what it is that you're hearing. All right, enjoy the show. So Kate and I are delighted to welcome Mr Mohamed Taranasi who's the Medical Director of the ARGC to the show. Welcome Mr Taranasi. Thank you. Lovely to have you here.
1: It's a pleasure, thank you.
0: We working in this space know about the ARGC and we're both very keen to talk about you because you've got a very impressive reputation and I've heard about you and have only recently started to really understand what it is you do. A lot of patients
2: that I work with are considering going to the ARGC and, and like Natalie I hear really really good things from them about any experiences that they have at the ARGC. Your website talks about that 75% of patients come to the ARGC after having failed cycles elsewhere. What kind of issues do they tend to have had from other clinics before they come to you?
1: Well, I mean, it's very difficult because I don't think there is one issue that you can probably identify for all the patients, but it's Mm. a multitude of problems. And uh, I mean, over the years, we've always attracted people who have find it difficult to achieve success in in other places. And I think probably more than 75% of our patients actually have Uh, repeated failures elsewhere I would say maybe 80 to 85 percent and I think most of them come to us because we probably do things a little bit different and we also I think they they call the RGC as as IVF boot camp because we we have like intense monitoring we make sure that we stay on top of the treatment on a daily basis make sure that uh, If we need to adjust the medication, we we do this regularly. If we need to add medication, then we do this as well. Uh, There is a lot of preparation that goes into the cycle as well before they start the treatment, making sure that you know exactly what you're up against. And uh, if there is a problem that you can rectify before the cycle, then you should do that to maximize the chances of a good response and a good outcome. So it's a variety of steps that need to be put into place to make sure that at the end of the day, regardless of the outcome, everybody feels that everything has been done to to give them the success.
0: I mean, you talked about some of the intensity there. I don't know how you feel about the the use of boot camp when people describe your clinic, but that intensity of the protocol, is is that suitable for everybody? I mean, do people have to- No,
1: no, no, it's not suitable for everybody, but because I said that the majority of our patients are, are patients who have failed repeatedly elsewhere. So they're not definitely a candidate for the standard routine sort of approach to the treatment. I mean, obviously people who probably start the journey and there is an identifiable problem and so on and so forth, they probably wouldn't need the the same intense monitoring. Uh, But anybody who have failed, and most of our patients have failed many, many, many times. And you need to be able to identify any subtle changes that can happen during the treatment. And the earlier you know about this and the earlier you adjust the medication, you're more likely to, to, to have a good outcome at the end of the day. So it's just the nature of the people that we see here that dictate the approach. And I think most patients actually are quite happy because we've heard this many, many, many times from people who come here. They always say this is a completely different experience in terms of how they they they, they find that there is a feedback on a daily basis. I put a lot of stress on the on the clinic as well and on the service that we provide because you have to be available seven days a week and this happens for 365 days throughout the whole year. So we are open on Christmas day, for example. Uh, It's not uncommon if you come here on Christmas day that you have like 30, 40 patients uh, coming and and trying to do everything and and leave within a couple of hours. So we never close. So that's- That's quite unusual isn't it to be
2: open on Christmas day? I've not heard of other clinics being open.
1: I think we're probably the only clinic as far as I'm aware who does that. And we've done this every single year for the last 25 years almost.
0: And is that in response to the intensity of the monitoring and the scanning? And it's just obviously, you know, if you, if you need to do your trigger you need, and it's Christmas, Christmas Eve, you need to come in, don't you?
1: Of course. And, and also bec- because uh, uh, one way of, of how we operate, and I know some people may disagree with this, I've always felt that people who've got problems, particularly as they grow older and so on, you need to be a little bit selective in which cycle you take them uh, for the treatment. And sometimes they need to check the hormones at the beginning of the cycle, and we 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 can just wait a month or two or three until we hit what we believe is a, is a better cycle for them. And if this cycle happens to be, I don't know, around Christmas time, you cannot just say, sorry, we're closed, because this may not happen again for another few months. So uh, the way we approach the, the problems, I mean, dictate that we have to be available for people weekends, Christmas day, New Year's day, whatever uh and that's part and parcel of the service that we provide here
2: one question that i'm really interested to find out from you and particularly because it's a topic we've been covering over the last few weeks we've been talking quite a lot about men and male factor infertility and how much focus is put on men in your clinic if they've come to you having had the basic tests
1: elsewhere i mean again the success is is dependent on the, the man and the woman so you have to make sure that you you've done your preparation and, and your assessment on both of them before you start the treatment. And sometimes, I mean, for to try and maximize the chances for if there is a problem with the sperm, uh, it may be some simple advice like, I don't know, change of the lifestyles if somebody's heavy smoker, heavy drinker, uh, things like that. Sometimes you have to, when you examine the the, the, the male partner, I mean, if he has issues like varicocele or whatever, you may need to talk to them about uh, that, whether they would consider doing something about that. So uh, there are all sorts of things that needs to be looked at before you can start the treatment. And, and you have to always work on both the male and the female to maximize the chances. And always with ICSI, mm-hmm. probably most of the male, uh, male problems can be rectified by that, but sometimes you may not even need to get to ICSI. I mean, you may just need some simple advice and that's all what will be enough for people to sort out the problems.
0: So if couples are coming to you having had failed cycles and there's been maybe equal emphasis on the men and the woman, would Mm -hmm. you look more at the man just to check?
1: Unless there is a clear problem. I mean, I think the reality is, I mean, most of the emphasis is on the female partner because most of them have either issue with the hormones, their performance wasn't very good in terms of response. Uh, They may have also uh, an implantation problem, which we believe in it. and and we've been investigating this for the last, I would say, 17, 18 years. So I would say, uh, on balance, I think there's a lot of work that seems to happen on the female side, but this doesn't mean that you have to neglect uh, at least a, a basic assessment of the male the, female, the male partner as well.
0: We're hearing stats that it is a 50-50 male-female issue. Mm-hmm. And I was just curious, is, is that not presenting in, in the patients that you're seeing?
1: No, it is presenting. But I mean, it, it, the things that you can rectify by other methods is very limited. There isn't really much that you can do, apart from actually when you go the, through the treatment and you and you do ICSI, which is basically selecting the best sperm and injecting them physically into the egg. That's probably the solution for a substantial percentage of the men's... Who, the men who have problems so
0: things like sperm dna fragmentation test if if there's been a couple that have had multiple failed cycles would would that not be something if they've come
1: well it is something that we consider as well but but at the end of the day you're still going to resort to doing ICSI so I mean unless something that is going to change drastically your your approach to the to the treatment sometimes it's just maybe more time wasted and and more money down the that they will have to to spend and and so on and so forth so you really need to make individual decisions i don't think you should just have a a general approach that you you do a a list of tests to everybody regardless of what the background problem is
2: would you um, engage urologists or andrologists as well with treatments particularly with um, male fertility factor
1: yes we do i mean we have we have we have uh, a few andrologists that we work with and and sometimes they they make an assessment they might also do some procedures for the for the patient if it, if it felt mm-hmm. it's appropriate and so on
2: again another subject that we're looking at quite a lot is the kind of support that you have in the clinic and what you you offer to couples or individuals particularly when they've lost all hope. We've been talking to various people that are having come to some resolution perhaps at the end of their fertility journey. What kind of support do you offer as a clinic to that type of individual?
1: I think the, the most important support is to be able to try and make a proper assessment of the condition and then advising, uh, advising them accordingly. Uh, I think that's what most people come here trying to, to find out whether, okay, do we are we gonna do anything different? Uh, can we just improve on their experience? And so on and so forth. And if you give them clear answers, whether these answers are towards a further treatment or, or whether just answers to say that, okay, we don't think that we can really do more than what happened before. I think a lot of people would feel comfortable with that. The treatment itself is, is a very stressful experience and it's very expensive. And particularly people who come to us here because a lot of the patient, they see us as the last resort. So if we cannot really help them, uh, it's very difficult for them to take this and we need to be able to understand that it's part of the treatment. Uh, we need to be able to accommodate sometimes. People become a bit irrational when, when things don't happen or, or they feel that, okay, you can't really help them and so on and so forth. Not everybody is gonna be open to the alternative treatment, things like egg donation, surrogacy, adoption, things like that. So all of this is, is, is part of the assessment that any clinician or any clinic should take into account and and they need to be able to to deal with it
0: you just said people come to you expecting as the kind of last resort and so if yeah. if the reality is it might be best for them for their emotional well-being to stop That must be an impossible situation to have to be in as a clinic. How do you have those difficult conversations?
1: It is a difficult situation, but I think at the end of the day, the role of the clinic or the clinician is not just to make the decisions on on behalf of the patients, it's actually to put all the facts in a very, very clear and fair way to them. Uh, I might just advise them about what I would have done if if it, it was for me. But I think the decision should come from the patient at the end of the day, but it has to be based on a very clear assessment and a very honest uh, recommendation about what is possible and what is not possible. And not every case that you that anybody would treat will, will be successful. Uh, but sometimes, from our experience, I think a lot of the patients that we see, there is always maybe a little bit more that can be done because we probably do uh, a few extra things and stuff like that. And This is something that we can discuss with them and if we feel it's appropriate to the case, we can just explain it to them and if they're happy to to consider it, then that's fine. Uh, And and most patients come here expecting that we we have a different approach to whatever they might have had before.
2: So clearly when a patient is considering options for clinics and looking at different clinics, one of the most important factors is to look at success rates and I know that um, ARGC have really good success rates and I one of my patients re- recently said, you know, termed it as we, we wanted the best, so we went to the best of the best in your clinic. Can you talk about your success rates, particularly as your website shows pregnancy rates and I'm really curious about the live birth rates.
1: Yeah, normally the pregnancy rate is the most up-to-date because that's the last thing that you can... You can actually show to people, but also live birth rate is probably the most important because this is what realistically what you, you sure. need, but so it's not good enough to, to be pregnant and then uh, lose the baby, I don't know, early in the pregnancy or, or worse still later on during the pregnancy. The way we publish results or put the results on our website, we've only published results that has been published by the HFEA. Uh, we never really put anything that cannot be verified on the HFEA website. and. I don't know whether you know this, but the HFEA has not really updated the success rates uh, for at least three years. I think some of the success rates on currently on the HFEA website, particularly for things like uh, live birth rate per egg collection, for example, which I think is a very good way of assessing the the chances of, of success from a cycle because it takes into account fresh and frozen. Uh, sure. They are seven years out of date. I mean, the, the the latest results on the HFA website for this particular success rate is for 2012. So
2: right,
1: gosh, I mean, that's uh, quite misleading, them, that, isn't it? That, that's what I'm trying to say. And I actually, mm. I'm the one who actually wrote to the HFE and three four months ago, and asked them to to, to do something about this. And I think mm. the the plan is for them to uh, update the results, hopefully, in the next few months. But uh, The results have not been updated for quite some time and there's no point and i i I don't like to put success rates that has not been verified so people can look at what we have put they can see whether it's different from what's on the hfea website and if it's different then you need to ask us questions but we've always put statistics that are published on the hfea website and also for the period that is covered by the statistics on the hfea website
2: because that's crucial like i said right at the very beginning it's crucial information and certainly i always direct my patients when they're considering A clinic to the HFEA website to look at pregnancy rates as as a way of really determining kind of which clinics they want to narrow down, and equally. I think pregnancy rates are incredibly important, and, and so are live birth rates. But also, I always say to them, you know, get a feel for the clinic. The most important thing is that you're really happy with the clinic, that you go, and go to a, a open day, visit the clinic, go and see how you feel. When you're in that or you walk out of the clinic and you feel like, yeah, this is the one for me, then invariably it is the right one for them. I think there's quite a lot of evidence suggests that if you have confidence in your clinic and you feel really happy there, that actually your, your, your rates of success are going to be greater.
1: Yeah, of course. But uh, I think at the end of the day, what really matters is, is whether you're going to uh, have a baby at the end of the cycle. Mm. I think that's that's the most important thing. That's what everybody would like to achieve at the end of the treatment. It is very confusing for, to people to try and, and and assess exactly what the statistics represent and so on and so forth, because there are different ways of presenting the statistics, and every one of them actually have a completely different meaning. And unless you can explain this to people in a simplified way, it could be very confusing. I mean to to put emphasis on success rate per embryo transfer, for example, it doesn't actually reflect the performance of all the patients who go through the treatment. And it could be uh, eventually uh, uh, encouraging people to cancel cycles and stuff like that because you will only be judged by the people who get to the embryo transfer. That's not a fair reflection of the performance of a clinic and that's not a, a fair reflection that will tell the patients what the chances would be from the day they start the treatment, not when the day they end the treatment. And there's a lot of effort that goes into the cycle to try and get the patients to the, to the uh, collection stage and to the embryo transfer stage. There's a lot of skills involved into that. It's difficult for patients actually to understand that. And particularly also when you, when, you, when you do it per embryo transfer, so you take into account the number of embryos that have been transferred and, and, and if you transfer two embryos, then your success rate is gonna be reduced by 50%, not knowing that the number of embryos that any clinic put in, in the patients is not actually determined by the clinic. I mean, there are rules and regulations and criteria that are set up by the professional bodies that all the clinics have to follow. So whether you put a single or, or double or even three embryo transfer is determined by the characteristics of the patient that you treat. It's not down to me as a clinician to decide, oh, I'm going to put a single embryo transfer when it's not indicated. So, and that's something that's fundamental for people to understand. It's the same for every clinic.
0: So. We're trying to, I suppose, make it easier for patients to understand. And we've mm-hmm. we've jumped right into the, the, the treatment part. If people are listening to this and maybe at the early stages of just finding out that they need to have treatment, um, what definitive advice would you then say for patients to, to try and assess? When they're making their decision on clinics, when it comes to success rates, if they can find the live birth rates, because I know you were saying your what's on your website is in line with the HFEA, but there's there's not even previous live birth rates there, so is is there and i know we can't do one number but is there a, a, a an easier way for people to look at the success rates would you well, say I think if
1: if you want to look at the success rates then obviously you need to look at first of all age groups because the chances of somebody who is younger let's say below 35 is not going to be the same if you are above 40. you need to look at the age group that is particularly uh, specific to the patient you, you need also to look at the success rates per cycle started because this will take into account all the patients in that age group that they're going to go through the treatment, not a selected uh, percentage of them. So I think these are the two simple things that people can look at. You need also to try and look at the most uh, up-to-date results, because you could see that sometimes performance can fluctuate from time to time in in various clinics. So you may do very well in one year, but maybe not so well the following year. So you need to look at the most up-to-date results these results are always verified by the hfe and audited by the hfe and so on and 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 that's that's basically if you're talking about success rate that's the best way to to look at that
2: so with um ARGC your your pregnancy rate for under 35 years of age is 80.2 percent how do you get such consistently high results and i know that you mentioned that you you know do other things perhaps the clinics May, may not do is that the secret to your success or what is the secret to your success well, I,
1: I don't think you can say it's a secret because we've always felt that you have to, to assess all the factors that can have an impact on the performance and the success rates and I think most people in this uh, business I mean, they, the main focus is on the embryo quality and the egg quality and so on and so forth. Because of the nature of the people that we get to see in our clinics, a lot of the patients that come to us, the, their primary problem seems to be what happens after the embryos are put back into the body. And this is a very gray area in medicine. It's a very controversial. It's essentially what we call implantation problems. And even with the best embryos if there is a problem in how the body is going to be receptive to those embryos you're not going to go very far uh, even if you achieve a pregnancy normally the pregnancy either is going to fail or you're going to have a miscarriage or, or all sorts of things so we uh, always looked at this side of the story as well and we've always said that the embryo quality is 50 percent and the other 50 percent is the body and how the body will look after the embryos and and this is what I don't know, comes under the the characterization of add-ons and stuff like that, which I know is a very hot topic now and there's a lot Mm. of talk about it. That's why I think as a patient, if I was starting the treatment today, or even for the ones who've been doing treatment and they've not been successful and so on, there's a lot of information out there and a lot of these information are quite conflicting and contradictory and it's very very difficult for a patient to try and find the way and navigate the way through all these wells of information that is coming from what appear to be reliable sources but the reality is uh, they don't match i mean some people can tell you do this some other people tell you the exact opposite so i I can understand the dilemma that most patients can face sometimes and i would have expected that uh, i don't know the hfh should have played a, a bigger role into making sure that they pr- pr- have a neutral uh, stand on things and, and put information that is focused on the basic stuff in a very clear way and so on and so forth. Uh, but that, that doesn't seem to be the case. And uh, it's, it's something that, uh, I don't know, I mean, I, I actually feel for the patient and I, and I know it's very difficult for them to try and understand what uh, different people are telling them. And, yes. and I think people need to look at the facts and they can make up their own conclusion.
2: Yeah, well I think that's what it's all about, isn't it? It's giving people yeah. the information so they can make
1: informed decisions. Yeah, that's very, very important.
2: If patients are coming to you and they're
0: asking about add-ons and say there's a red light on the HFEA website, but you've done some research and you've got data that has been shared. I mean, how does the conversation unfold? It might have been something that's been going for 20 years and the patient might be saying, well, why has it got a red light if it's been going for 20 years and it sounds like the right kind of thing that we need? I mean, how do those conversations pan out?
1: Well, I think the question about red light and so on is is not a question for me. It's a question for the HFEA. I can only tell you from my own experience that I wouldn't give this a red light at all. I mean, uh, if anything, it's actually, it's, it's a very green light as far as I'm concerned and as far as my experience tells me. We've, we've seen this many, many, many times. I mean, we've got thousands of patients who can reflect on their experience and, and tell you exactly what happened with them when they had this treatment that is supposed to be a red light. And, and medicine is, is about views and you may have different ways of getting to, this, to the same outcome. And it's up to the patient to to try and listen to the arguments or reflect on the experience of whoever is presenting a a particular treatment to them. And people make their own decisions at the end of the day. I mean, you don't force anybody to do anything. We work in a private setup as well, so people choose to come, and they also may choose not to continue treatment here. So Mm -hmm. it's not like, okay, this is something that has to happen or whatever. You just put your argument to people, explain to them, your experience and, and say to them what you believe might give them a, a good chance. And some people, sometimes they don't want to have this and we never force anybody. We, we just tell yeah. them that, okay, this is our experience and, and if they are happy to have the treatment, then we'll offer it to them.
0: So we're talking in what is now the 41st year of this amazing science Kate was talking about is experimental nature leading us to where we're at. How do you feel about where we're at then with what's available for patients, their understanding of the information when it comes to their decisions because you're basically saying I'm disagreeing with such and such a treatment here's my patients that have had success do you feel that the industry is in a good place from a patient's point of view
1: well definitely things have improved a lot from the early days of, of IVF and in the last 40 years you can look at the success rates for example and where it started and where it is now so definitely there is a big 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 improvement there is also more awareness of what the technology can help uh, can uh, can offer to people and help them achieve their goals and stuff like that. I don't think IVF or fertility treatment is, is a taboo anymore because um, I think almost everybody knows somebody who had IVF treatment or similar yeah. treatment and so on and so forth. So it's becoming part and parcel of, of uh, life in, in the current society and so on. Uh, also, IVF technology seems to have expanded to cover areas that Are not infertility-related, like PGD, PGS stuff like that, Uh, and and I think it's it's more and more going to expand into into other areas. That as as I said, it's not just for the infertile couple or people who have difficulty in conceiving. Uh, So overall, I think that's 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 an improvement, and I think. Hopefully this will continue to to happen and it's the collective effort of everybody working in this field that will allow this development to continue and and be used for the benefit of people.
0: When you say other areas, do you mean for example treatment with same-sex couples?
1: That's one area because obviously that's not an infertility problem. Sure. That's just a a lifestyle choice and and allow people who are in this kind of relationship to also have their own family. so that's, that's, that's obviously something that is on the up and we, we see more and more patients who come uh, who want treatment for, for this particular situation. I'm very happy even to have a debate with whoever is on the other side. And, and, and I think I've always felt that this is a good way for people to really make up their own mind if they can hear what I'm saying now. It would have been far better if there's someone else who have a different view who can actually respond to what I'm saying there and then mm. uh, and then they can make their own, their own mind about it. It's all done for a good reason. Well, exactly. We're We're trying trying to facilitate the conversation. The intention is to try and and find a way that is beneficial to the patients because that's what we are all here to do, be it the clinic or be it the the regulator. And uh, sometimes, I mean, this doesn't happen, but, I mean, uh, we we should all be grown up and try and just... uh, find a way to collaborate and work in, in in the right way
0: well we've put it out there so uh maybe it's time to get <laughs> those right. uh, boxing gloves out mr taranasi <laughs> and uh, right. we might have to see if we can facilitate the debate right here um, yeah, it's been, it's be been great. really insightful hearing what you think and how you feel and hearing about the clinic and i know kate from the, from the people that you speak to on a regular basis it will yeah. have given you quite a lot to um, to to pass on as well
2: Absolutely,
0: yeah. yeah Thank you for pleasure. your time. Anyway,
1: no, it's pleasure, it's pleasure. Thank you so much anyway.
0: In that conversation, you heard us refer to the HFEA, which is the government regulator of fertility clinics. If you're just starting to look into what your options might be with regards to fertility treatment, then the HFEA is a place to try and get your head around how to choose a clinic. And I actually spoke with the HFEA on the launch of their brand new website, and I wanted to share a bit of that with you as they explain their objective for redesigning their website to make it much more user friendly and also how they want patient feedback as part of your clinic experience so have a listen and don't forget that the full episode will be available via the fertilitypodcast.com
3: we look after lots of data and statistics that we collect from all the clinics that we license and so every treatment that happens and has happened for the last 25 years in the UK since we've been in existence all those, um, all that information we collect and we store, obviously, very securely so that we can publish statistics about each clinic and all the different um, treatments that they offer, their birth statistics, their multiple birth rate, um, and we also publish national reports as well. And we use that information to offer services to people who've had donor conception treatment. So if you've had donor treatment in the UK... Or you're born from donor conception treatment, whether that's donor eggs or donor sperm. We've got information about donors that we can make available to people on request as well. So we've got lots of really important services out there for people going through treatment, people having donor treatment, and the people who were born from those donor treatments. The whole point of us chatting about the new website is
0: that we want people to go and look at the new website. What we want to do is give you an overview of what happens when you first look at it. So it's a much cleaner design, Juliet. So just tell me, when you first come to look at the HFEA website, what you hope a, a patient will then go on their journey to find?
3: I think that the way that we've tried to design the site is so that whatever stage of research or treatment that you're at, You'll be able to jump into information that's relevant to you really quickly. So from the home page, there are different routes into information, and that might be, it might be that you're you know exactly a kind of treatment that you're looking for. Maybe you've been to see your GP and your GP says, I think you need interuterine insemination. So if you know that term, then you can type that into the little search foot on the homepage, and you straight away you're into dropped into information about IUI. Um, Or you might not really know about what treatment you're looking for, but you'll be thinking about what situation you're in. So we've presented the pages also according to what kind of couple you're in, whether you're in a straight couple or a a same-sex couple. Are you having treatment on your own? Are you perhaps aged over 38? So that we can tailor information to people in particular circumstances. So the overall idea is that you get to information quickly that you need. And that might be about treatment... Or that might indeed be about choosing a particular clinic where you have treatment.
0: Because I think with anything like this there's so much information and you are a sponge when you're investigating your fertility choices and you want people to read the right information that's relevant rather than just reading everything and being even more terrified.
3: That's right exactly yeah. All
0: right so Kathleen let's talk a bit about then if you are looking to find a clinic because you've got a very clear choose a clinic area that enables you to put in your postcode and then you can put in kind of miles that you want to travel I mean I've always said try not to travel more than an hour which is what I did when I was having um, my treatment because if you are backwards and forwards you don't want it to be stressful for And foremost, and you want it to be as easy a process as possible. So, once you're there, you've got different information about the clinics and you've got these different rankings and ratings uh, about the clinic, things that patients have said. Can you just explain a bit more about what people find when when they get there?
4: Sure. So, once you've found or selected a particular clinic and presented with three ratings, you've got the inspection rating, patient rating, and the IVF birth rate. So, the inspection ratings out of five. And that's from where our team go into all the clinics in the UK to make sure they are up to the correct standards and that any treatment you do receive there will be safe. The IVF birth rate, again, is it's based on statistics um, and you can view those. They're all broken down into age range different criteria and the last category the patient rating is actually a new new service for us where we're encouraging patients to give their feedback on the experiences they've had during fertility treatment so we want more than just success rates we want how they felt during treatment how they were treated by the staff how they felt involved in decision making processes all the bits that aren't covered by statistics but are really important when you're choosing the right clinic for you Now, I know that
0: that aspect, the patient rating, is quite a new thing. And when you're looking through different clinics, you will see that some of them haven't got patient ratings yet. And I know that you're really keen to encourage people because ultimately, when I chose a clinic... I did look at the stats. I looked at your website. I looked at the stats. Um, I, I was eligible for funding. So it was kind of down to my area. However, I hadn't then gone to rate it. I hadn't really thought about that.
3: What we have asked people to do is to only rate their clinic where they've had treatment in the last 12 months. So to be fair to clinics who may well have changed their approach or if they've had negative feedback, improved and acted upon that. We ask people to um, rate the clinic if they've had uh, treatment or, in- or indeed been a donor in the last 12 months. But yes, we're really keen to hear from people, partly for the clinics themselves so that they can look at the feedback. And I should say that we publish the ratings straight on to Choose a Fertility Clinic about that a particular clinic. But we also ask people to give additional information, written information. That doesn't get published on the website, but it goes through to the clinic's inspector who work at the HFEA. And they're able to share that feedback with the clinic so that they can talk through how they're going to address it either how they're going to make a good bit of feedback, the same, you know, a general experience for everybody, or how they're going to act upon perhaps a, an area that they need to improve upon. So it's for the clinics themselves, which is really valuable for them, but also it's for prospective patients who are choosing a clinic. And as Kathleen said, we want to encourage people to focus not just on birth rates, obviously they're really important, but they're Surprisingly, there aren't that there isn't that much difference in birth rates between one clinic and the next, and we can explain a little bit more about that in a minute but actually not to dwell too much on um, success rates, particularly small differences, a few percentage points, but to look a little bit more in the round about what it's like to be a patient in that clinic. And that's why the patient feedback is so vital for people who are looking for a clinic.
0: I mean, I've actually been fortunate enough to visit quite a number of clinics uh, in the in the time since I had fertility treatment. And there is a real variety from how you feel when you walk in, from what the parking's like, from what the, the reception area's like to the treatment areas. And it, and it does make a real difference and is really worthwhile taking that time to to ask questions and to go to the clinic if you can and what have you. So let's talk a bit about um, the the birth rate because it's interesting you say that because that's one thing I looked at and and you you don't really understand what you're looking at to be honest, I think, when you're first looking at these stats. And I know that some of the clinics don't have uh, the birth rate listed. So just explain what we've got there to look at.
3: Actually, when you get to the main page of Choose a Fertility Clinic, one thing I'd really recommend looking at is our short animation, which we have taken some time to craft so that we're able to explain to people researching clinics, not just why the birth rate isn't necessarily the most important thing, or at least why it's important to think about other factors as well. But if you are going to look at birth rates, trying to understand exactly what they are telling you and what they're not telling you. One of the great things about Choose a Fertility Clinic is that it's the only place you can go which lists all the birth rate information about every clinic in the UK, and crucially, it presents the information in exactly the same way so that you know that you're comparing like with like. So if you go to a clinic's website and most of them will publish their own birth statistics and whilst they're not doing anything wrong in publishing maybe pregnancy rates for women under 38 or um, birth rates for blastocyst transfer or all kinds of different measures of success, they're not wrong. It's just that it's really difficult if you're comparing one clinic's website with another clinic's website, whether you're actually... Looking at the same measure, and whether then you can meaningfully compare one with the other, and that's why we'd really recommend that if you're going to look at birth rates from a comparison point of view, come to choose a fertility clinic because we're measuring the same thing in the same way, and you can see where there are similarities and where there are differences. I know the, the other really important thing to bear in mind is that for us, the most important thing that that clinic uh, that that clinic's birth rate is consistent with the national average, and that's because. Some clinics are quite small and they're doing maybe a few hundred cycles of IVF per year and that means that chance can have an effect on their birth rate, their annual birth rate and through doing nothing different themselves they might have a different birth rate from one year to the next just through the fact that some women get pregnant and some women don't when they've had exactly the same treatment and they have exactly the same kind of history. So what we do is we we try and look at whether there's any statistical real meaningfully statistical difference between the clinics and for most of them there isn't a huge difference and that's why for the at the top of the choose a fertility clinic page we say is this clinic's birth rate within the national average and where it is we give them a big green tick
0: so the ones that say not applicable is that why
3: no. Where they are below the national average, and there's only a couple of clinics that applies to, there we will say that. Where it says not applicable, it's probably because that clinic has opened in the last year or two and we don't have any birth rates to publish yet.
0: But that's not to say, I suppose, as a patient, if it's a clinic in your area, to rule it out?
3: No, not at all. And in fact, that's probably a good, a good question to ask the clinic if you do go and either look at their website or go for a um, to um, an open evening or a patient information evening to ask for more recent statistics that they might have, probably pregnancy statistics, but they're a good starting point.
0: All right, so we've covered the clinic. Now, one of the hot topics with regards to IVF, especially if you're self-funding, is add-ons because at the end of the day you need to really ask the questions and you really need to understand I mean I know for example I had treatment on the NHS my mate who'd had fertility treatment said whatever you do have an endometrial scratch so I was adamant that I was going to have one I didn't really know much about it and I've since learned all the issues about the evidence surrounding the endo scratch however I've said it to other people and I know that they've gone and done the same and you're so guilty I think when you're hungry for this information and hungry obviously for success to go to your clinic and say I want this and I want that we've had scared mongering about clinics adding treatment add-ons when they're not necessary so for people to understand what they're all about you've put them in a traffic light system which explains the kind of evidence around them because that's one of the key things with with treatment add-ons is the evidence surrounding their success
3: yeah so if you don't know what an add-on is you've probably heard of a, a an example of an add-on so you mentioned endometrial scratch um there's also things like en- um, embryo glue you might get offered um, drug therapies to help with implantation. Uh, you might be offered genetic screening. Other things that are slightly newer, like elective freezal, where you don't have a fresh transfer, you just have a frozen transfer. Um, and things that use are used in the laboratory, like time-lapse imaging, like embryoscope or some other products on the market. Some clinics include them in as a, as a sort of standard part of their treatment and might not charge extra for it. Sometimes um, you'll see in your bill or you'll be you're offered treatments that might cost, you know, anything from a few hundred to several thousand extra on top of the IVF cycle cost. We're lucky at the HFVA in that we've got, a, we've got a panel of scientists that we can go to, or scientists and clinicians working in the field. And what they've done for us is they've gone through, we've started with nine add-ons, and they have gone through all the scientific literature and the clinical literature that's been published and they have made an assessment of um, how strong the evidence is for a particular add-on. And they have um, used one of three colours, a traffic light system, to demonstrate, to, to make it really clear to people reading the page how strong the evidence is for something. And actually most of the add-ons, the, the traffic light is orange because for many things there usually is a little bit of evidence or there might be one really good Um, study that's occurred but to be really sure that it's actually going to be worth paying extra for and will definitely increase your chance of getting pregnant you need to peter study and get the same finding twice just to show to show that there's some proof and so the traffic light system is based on how strong the evidence is and i think for us the most important thing is that um, patients get easy access to reliable information about this And are really aware of whether or not they feel it's worth spending a little bit extra money on something. And sometimes it might be that the clinic says, actually, we're trying out this add-on in our clinic. At the moment, we're charging extra for it. We found some early evidence that it is beneficial and we we think it would be worthwhile trying for you and that's fine that's being completely open with people that they're not completely convinced that it's going to improve this chance of success but it's something worth trying I think where we're worried as the regulator of fertility clinics is if patients aren't aware that something doesn't have a completely convincing evidence base and that's why we've published this information so they can get really clear advice on whether it's worth trying a particular add-on or not so for example we've got some information about endometrial scratch which has an amber rating and it says that research consistently shows benefits however further evidence is needed to show that there's a proof of benefit and it also talks about are there any risks or side effects with the add-ons often there's it's more a question of there aren't risks or side effects but we just need to prove that it actually has some added benefit and so it's quite short information that gives and um, description of what the theory is behind the add-on, what the idea of it um, it's trying to address. So with endometrial scratch, the theory is that the procedure, the scratch, triggers the body to repair the site of the scratch, releasing chemicals and hormones that make the womb lining more receptive to an embryo and therefore improving implantation rates. So that's the idea. And then we talk through what the evidence is. And for endometrial scratch, it says early results suggest that endometrial scratching could increase pregnancy rates, although stronger evidence is needed to prove this. And then we also tell people that there's a trial going on. And so there are a couple of clinical trials in the country that people can get involved in if they want to take part in research. And with clinical trials, because there's no proof that this is a benefit, patients will not be charged for the add-on if they're part of a trial.
0: I was also under the uh, understanding that the endoscratch was of benefit to women who had suffered recurrent miscarriage, but there's no mention of this could be right for you if, or is there in some of the ratings that you've you've got there?
3: In some of them, but not for endometrial scratch.
0: So again, it's so worth asking the question to your clinic for the evidence, looking at the HFE website and, and not feeling, I suppose, pushed into anything from anything that you've heard from anybody else, you know, because there's such a pressure that you want to do everything you can especially if you are self funding isn't there and you just want people to be clear that there's no wonder cure here with all these different add-ons even though i mean i know for example a friend that's just gone through a third round and thank goodness is now pregnant but they had time lapse this time round, and the clinic had said to them that this was really you know something for them to invest in and they were throwing everything at it this time around but time lapse like we know it's a i did a recent episode with an embryologist talking about the the, the way it it helps but it's just really important that people ask these questions about whether it's relevant for their case regardless of what they've heard
3: yes absolutely i think the thing that's really hard to accept when you're a fertility patient is that sometimes you have to have a second go at it and that's not because the treatment was wrong first time it's just because your chance of success is maximized by having three cycles of ivf that's what the the guide the the kind of medical guidelines say Um, and so when it if it if it doesn't work first time around i think there's a, a Um, a completely understandable feeling that maybe you need to change something or maybe something should have been added into it to make the success rate more um, higher, and that isn't always necessarily the case. I mean, sometimes you have a treatment cycle, and it becomes clear to the doctor or the embryologist that there is something that you do need to change for next time. But quite often, you just need to have a second go, or maybe a third go. And I think I think that's where often treatment add-ons become very attractive to patients, and sometimes to clinicians as well, because they want to help people have the family that they so you know so desperate to have. And they're tempted to sort of try everything. And sometimes you kind of have to hold your nerve that the treatment is right. It just doesn't always work first time. Then again, there are new technologies coming into clinics. And we do want treatments to improve. And we do want the success rates to to go up in the future. So we're we're really keen to have new techniques developed. But it's really important to us that they're introduced into the clinic in the right way.
0: So if people are nervous about add-ons because... Of what the kind of negative press has been on it, and they are self-funding because this, I think, is even more relevant if you're self-funding or if you're if you're eligible for treatment but on the NHS, but the, these other things aren't on there. Say somebody wants a certain thing and the clinic's saying to them it's not right. What would your advice be there?
3: I think it's really important to listen to your doctor. I think that they they know what they're talking about. They've um, they've looked at all the information and they may well have looked at some of the the same literature that our scientific panel have looked at, and. Yes, there are differences in medical opinions. Sometimes a clinic will be perhaps more likely to um, offer a, a new add-on. And so you may get, as you know, you get different things offered in different clinics. And I think if you feel really, really strongly about it and your clinic is not offering it and giving good I- a good explanation of why not, but you're really not satisfied, then I think the only really advice I can give is to to talk to another clinic and and but be careful to ask the right questions to say where's the evidence that people in my situation or patients that you've been treating recently have benefited from having this having this add-on and if the clinic can answer that convincingly then you know then then you can you can take that advice on board
0: okay the show notes for this episode are thefertilitypodcast.com forward slash argc go and have a look you can find out the clinic's details you can also find out the link to the Manchester event that's happening on the 28th of August that I said at the start of this episode plus you can find my details to get in touch you can either email natalie at fertilitypodcast.com or there's a contact me form on my website if you're on the move and I'm so giving you too much information or just get in touch on dm via one of the social platforms that you prefer I hope it was of interest thank you as always for your support and until the next time